Good evening. I'm Axis. I'm Moner. And you're listening to The Late Night, a horror podcast. It's back to school time, everyone. Yay! (laughs) 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 Who's scared? I'm scared. Are you scared? I'm scared. Yay! We're totally fucked. Oh, God. Happy September! It's our favorite season. Back to school. Get your pencils, get your masks, get your sanitizer, cross your fingers, and hope for the best. It's also the month I was born in. I'm a Virgo. <laughs> so tonight. It's, are Virgos self centered? I don't know the stereotypes, oh, but if, if you are, you're working it. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing it all. Um, <laughs> yeah, so tonight, for your viewing pleasure, we're watching Jonathan Milot and Carrie Mernion's Cooties from 2014, starring Elijah Wood, Rain Wilson, and Allison Pill. And we'll be following that with Abe Forsyth's Little Monsters from 2019, with Lupita Nyong'o, Alexander England, and Josh Gad. We'll be right back after the tone. Stay tuned. So, uh, let's talk about films that make us happy to have kids, or rather to not fucking have them. Let's start with Cooties from 2014. How did you like this one? I had a fun time. You know, like, this movie, it's a movie that, do I have some gripes with it? Yes. Did I have a good time on the whole? Also, yes. It's like, it, it has... I feel like it has that pulpy energy that is the kind of thing that I want to throw on late at night and not think about it too hard and, like, have a lot of snacks and a good time, but also start eating the snacks after the chicken murder montage at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, once you're clear of that, then it's snack time. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, but I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was, you know, an enjoyable time. I'm always thrilled for any Elijah Wood vehicle as yeah. a rule, so yeah. seeing him as a as part of the production company, seeing him front and center. I was happy. I was happy. I had a good time. It was such an incredible cast. Like, there are so many amazing people in the movie. I mean, if you're looking at Jack McBrayer, if you're looking at Nassim Pedrad, it's almost a shame in my mind that I feel like some of the talent they had was underutilized mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, but, you know, I had fun. What about you? What about you? I feel like this is another indication that Elijah Wood is destined to become one of the biggest godfathers of horror for the modern oh, era. Oh, God, I hope so. Spectre Vision, is, which is the company that he's been uh, using to put out his films, or rather his production company, is is really amazing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if you guys haven't heard of Spectre Vision... You know, you you need only IMDb it. It's um, you know, he, there's the color out of space, uh, which recently came out with Nicolas Cage, Mandy, which also came out with Nicolas Cage. Just a fantastic choice of directors, a fantastic uh, cast ensemble almost every time. It's just amazing how many how much talent comes out of the stuff that Elijah has picked, and of course, you know. Yeah, and it's it's very very varied as well like he is not afraid to branch out in different directions which i appreciate what i think i think the thing that really gets me is that whenever i sit down and i talk with people about elijah wood and horror a lot of people don't realize that he's been in horror for a very long time and Mm -hmm. they don't really you know he doesn't get enough credit for it 
Um, for those who do not know, he was in one of uh, Macaulay Culkin's earliest films. He was the protagonist of uh, one, one of Macaulay Culkin's earliest films. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, The Good Son uh, with Elijah Wood was an amazing, amazing display, both from Macaulay Culkin and from Elijah Wood. Uh, Macaulay Culkin was the was the uh, the antagonist as a no, as a cold-blooded killer, and uh, Elijah Wood uh, was recently orphaned and taken in by his aunt, and he becomes his cousin's or step cousin's foil. And it's uh, it's mm-hmm. really amazing. For those who haven't checked it out, I, I highly recommend watching The Good Son. Um, I mean, I think that the thing that had hung over him is uh, the whole Lord of the Rings series from Peter Jackson. Oh, but, you know, that little thing. <laughs> yeah, but even then, what's funny to me is, like, uh, he became friends with Dominic Moynihan, who ended up going on to also have a career in horror uh, in uh, I Sell the Dead, and um, he and if you know, I'll put links to it in the in the description below. But there are a lot of times where Dominic and Elijah have um, punked one another, and that's really amazing <laughs> to watch. I can only say, "Beautiful Eyes Blue" is just um, amazing. Uh, it's 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 something where I think everybody needs to watch it at least once just to appreciate this sort of um, devious brotherhood that the two share. Um, so yeah, I I was very happy to see, you know, the cast in Cooties. I really loved mm-hmm. Alison Pill. Alison Pill's, you know, she's also no stranger to the screen. Oh yeah, she's um, delightful. She's amazing. She's still working after all these years. She's still always always doing good roles. Like this was no there. This was no exception. Um, Rain Wilson, you know, from the <laughs> from the Office was also there. I, it was probably the first time I actually watched Rain Wilson. I thought, okay, I get why you're there. But, like, I felt like they could have done more with him, or maybe they cut something out in post-production. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a common theme I had with a bunch of the characters, because they just got so much talent for it. Like, Rain Wilson, I feel like, is so talented and really dimensional. Like, he was in, um, I think the first time I saw him in a more, he was still funny, but a more serious role than The Office was in um, Star Trek Discovery, when he was in one of the more recent Star Trek series. He was great in that. He was dimensional. He has so much talent. And this was fun, but I feel like, you know, they could have done more with him. Right. It was a huge bummer to see um, to see Jack McBrayer, who I, you know, grew up watching in 30 Rock. 30 Rock was like my comfort food show during mm-hmm. college. And he's a delight in that. And he got so little screen time. It was a huge bummer that his whole character trope was just, he's gay. That's right. like the running joke down to naming him Which Tracy. Really it's like, oh, effeminate. Yeah. Like, yeah. it just felt like such a weak writing bit. Also weird, given the the writers for this. I mean, Lee Winnell is, you know, yeah. has done a hell of a lot of horror in his day. Like, he knows his bo- he knows the bones of that. Um, but Ian Brennan was one of the writers for Glee, so <laughs> which is great. A fantastic show. Yes, which makes it almost more surprising for me that he just went for the easy gay stereotype jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that one was a bummer to me. It's also disappointing that we didn't get to hear more from Nassim Pedrad because she's brilliant. She's so funny. Right. Um, so I, I, there were people I wish there were more of. It felt like also, the cast was underused. Right? Yeah, and I think absolutely. That, that, that's something where we get a contrast, right? When and then in the mm-hmm. other film, we we when we look at even. Um, George Garcia, who's from who's mm-hmm. very famous from Lost. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, again, it's another it's another character where 
I mean, I was satisfied with the way they used Garcia, but I also think, like, again, we could have gotten way more... I felt like I felt like this was overstuffed with, with names, and I felt yeah. like it was something where we had enough time where we could have played around and maybe even been a little bit more, more creative with the game of cat and mouse that they were playing mm-hmm. within the school. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's one of the complaints that I saw come up in some of the reviews of the movie, mm-hmm. which were basically, you know... Almost every single note of the movie was like, oh no, something happened. Let's run to a different room and do the same thing again. And now we're going to run to a different room in the school and be trapped there. And it did feel like there were points where in the pacing, I think it would have been a more developed movie if they had actually used all of the talent they had there. Instead of just, you know, another shot of the zombie horde. I was also so bummed that there wasn't more screen time for Calvin, the little Mm -hmm. kid, uh, who was Armani Jackson. Because when they introduced him, he was so sweet. He seemed like he had this real opportunity to be this foil for all of the terrible zombie kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially in a movie with Patriot in it. Like, you really wanted wanted a sweet kid. And especially thinking about this movie in context with Little Monsters and how much we loved Felix and Little Monsters... I, I feel like there was an opportunity to have, you know, have a kid in this one to ground a little more. I get that it's not the same vibe that they were going for a more, you know, beat up stress reliever against children. But <laughs> his whole role was to do nothing except fall into a diabetic coma, which seems like a bummer for a character that, again, I thought had potential. Right. I mean, the other thing was also... This reminded me, this whole storyline, when I looked at it, you know, when I was thinking about it the second or the third time around, it reminded me a whole heck of a lot of Return of the Living Dead 2, where there were also two children, uh, one against the other. And at the end, it's that face-off that kind of makes uh, the story. And I really felt that the ending with Patriot, uh, played by Cooper Roth, being, Mm -hmm. you know, just sort of hit by a a bat, you know, bumper hood ornament, and then being slammed into a tree was, I mean, it's cute, but it's also, it's one of those classic examples of, of a lack of a good kill from someone where you've been building up the suspense to kill that character. Um, uh-huh. You know, even the Friday the 13th remake uh, from 2009, you know, also made that cardinal sin, which is something where you've got this one character that you've instantly you know, convince the audience to dislike, right? Patriot oh, absolutely. is Patriot is basically like <laughs> eminently dislikable. All right. It's like, <laughs> you know what? You're a jerk. I know. And that then, is I will say they did a damn good job of making it just the most detestable child. Right. <laughs> and that was it. For the the thing that I thought was that they did very well was they dehumanized the children very mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. Right? It was very instantly it went from it went from like school sucks to watership down in Lord of the Flies meets zombie <laughs> apocalypse. So it was awesome yeah. in that way. Yeah. But the the the, the one weird gripe I have with it was I kept sitting there and thinking, you know, this would look so much cooler if it was shot in like grindhouse mode, where if you had those <laughs> those, those destroyed film effects being yes, like yeah. filtered through, it would have looked cooler if this was like yeah. more if this had if this had looked more uh, retro ish. Right, if it had some grunge, because mm-hmm. I, that was one of the things that I really the loved in this was in terms of the props, mm-hmm. in terms of the way like that montage where they're all suiting up for battle and they're putting together these hodgepodge weapons that are clearly, you know, built out of things you could find in a gymnasium was one of the highlights of the movie for me. And so I feel like 
they could have could have done well to embrace some of that that grunginess, that rawness. And I think that I, I agree that having more of a grindhouse feel could have could have made it feel feel good, you know? Yeah, without question. <laughs> I do think that if there's if there's one thing that I sort of took away from it, it was that it's still something where it's like you said, it's it's a it's a great <laughs> no pun in, well, lots of puns intended. It's a great <laughs> no it's a great no brainer. For the end of the day, mm-hmm. uh, as far as zombie p- films went, um, one thing I was kind of missing, which I liked more about Little Monsters, yeah. which I also liked more about Shaun of the Dead and Warm Bodies, was that there was kind of a, it didn't need to be romantic, but there was more of an emotional subtext to the entire thing that was happening in the character arcs. And I feel mm-hmm. like we were missing that here. I felt like we were, I mean, it's not that I don't like Rain Wilson. I felt like the, the the little exchange between Rain Wilson and Elijah Wood was good, and I kind of liked the little love triangle with them and, and Allison Pill. But at the end of the day, it wasn't as strong as like say Nick Frost and and Simon Pegg's um, uh, Ed and Sean respectively. You know, there was this, you know, there was a bromance and there was um you know there was more of a um, a kind of there was definitely you felt like there was something to lose with every yeah. with most of the characters that were lost we didn't really have that here we right because just... i i mean we talked about it while we while we were doing the watch along mm-hmm. that i felt like they never really developed the relationship between allison pill and rain wilson which meant that like the stakes of the love triangle weren't very high mm-hmm. but i think that was also in general, one of the penalties they kind of paid for not having a lot of character development is that none of the characters had a particularly strong relationship with each other. Right. Like, Elijah Wood and Alison Pill arguably had the strongest kind of, you know, relationship between the two, but that was more an infatuation than any kind of stakes on the line. Like, there was nobody who really seemed like they had a lot to lose, especially when they spent half the time screaming about how they hated each other. So, yeah. <laughs> like, it did not have the same emotional punch um, as I think it could have. Right. But, yeah, so which was a bummer. But, I again, like, there were a lot of characterizations that I thought were really fun. Um like again, I did love Lee Winnell in this. Like he was, he was so funny. I loved his character. He really, you know, yeah. perhaps self-serving in yeah. writing himself. Perhaps oh, really question. the best role. It was, his, it was really one of the best roles as Lee's. Is Rebecca yeah. quiet, please? Were <laughs> <laughs> the please, tools Rebecca. of history? You know, like I absolutely loved it. Yeah, and I had no idea until I, I looked him up. I mean, a he's Australian, so yeah. we've had two two great gifts from Australia this month. Yeah. Um, but I did not realize his acting career. Like, so he was in predictable stuff, like little shoe and rolls, and you know his, the Saw series and the Insidious series mm-hmm. that he worked on. But he was also in Aquaman and. Mm-hmm. Most bafflingly, the Guardians of Gahul Owl movie. Yeah. He was one of the voices of an owl, which was really an off-the-wall fact for me. <laughs> which, to me, makes him like you know the one of the things I really like about Leigh Whannell is that he's just like you know Adam Wingard or Larry Fessenden. They're not afraid to get in front of the camera. You yeah, know, the writers that aren't afraid to get in, in front of the camera. They're also directors that aren't afraid to get in front of, in front of the camera. And every time, you know, like if, if you look at Lee, Lee or if you look at Larry, they're very entertaining. 
whenever they mm-hmm. do get in front of the character. It's not like it's not like they haven't been paying attention to theater. It's not like they don't know what they're doing. It's mm-hmm. really fun to watch them have fun too. And I think yeah, that's and the as thing somebody I really who like about this, yeah, as somebody who acts and who has dabbled in a lot of different stuff, I really believe that being willing to have the freedom to jump between mediums makes you stronger in all of them. I I truly believe it. Like, dabble in as many things as you can because learning, you know, how to act makes you a better writer because you know what it takes to make those lines. It's, there's cross-play between all of those kinds of forms. Well, not just that, but I also think that all three men always knew where the camera was whenever Mm -hmm. they were shooting. There's a moment, for anybody who's loved the movie, You're Next, um, from uh, Glass Eye Picks. Um, there's just, uh, you know, there's a moment in the beginning where, where Larry is, is pretty much just hanging out there in his robe and his underwear. And Larry's just so comfortable with his body. And you're just like watching him in front of the camera. He knows exactly where the camera is. He knows exactly how to stand. You know, it's the same thing with Lee. You're seeing the same thing. He's doing this. He knows he's just, he's trying to be pompous and he's trying to be intellectual at the same time. And it's really amazing. Like the level of confidence that these men exude is, is is stunning (laughs) so like you know (laughs) yeah yeah there's there's a real once once you were in in the craft as it were there's a real gift to being just utterly shameless like it serves you so well sometimes to just be able to say fuck it and just go ham (laughs) i got that actually the first time i became aware of that kind of that that kind of natural confidence was when Meatloaf was talking about his memories on the night, um, no, on the Rocky, on the Rocky Horror Show, and he was just standing naked in front of Raquel Welch, and she was really mad at him for standing naked in front of him. But it's just like, hey, I'm here, I'm Meatloaf, nice to meet you. Like, and this is before he blew up or anything, you know. And it's just, it's, it's amazing because you're just kind of sitting there, like, yeah. Imagine if there was like the hottest supermodel on earth, and you were like, oh, I don't know, fifty pounds over, and you're just standing there going, hey. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, honestly, like, at this point, like, I don't know how there are people who make it that many years into a career in this kind of, you know, entertainment and stuff, especially actors. I'm talking from more of an actor's perspective, but who manage to have any dignity left intact. Like, the number of times that I have just had to strip in front of, like, an entire room full of people with no consequence. I don't give a shit anymore. Like, I don't understand how there are people who can still be all uptight and prim and proper about it when you've been doing this for 20 years. That takes a certain type of personality that just flummoxes me. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, power to them, honestly, for keeping their keeping their integrity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when we're talking about cooties, I of course um, had to find something to deep dive on, mm-hmm. and uh, it's perhaps a little foolhardy to try to fact check a pulpy movie but mm-hmm. i did do some research on You'd viruses some of those actually <laughs> do have good deep especially like planet terror has some good deep holes to dive into some of those real some of those grindhouse pieces have really good deep places to dive into so. that is true what did you find but so I I did I did some some viral research. Uh-huh. Um, so I started by looking at foodborne illnesses in particular because I was just thinking about you know the premise of having this chicken nugget from hell that mm-hmm. makes it all the way from from chicken to table as some agent and harbinger of doom. Right. So the first thing I found is that almost all foodborne illnesses that we interact mm-hmm. with 
you know, when you're looking at E. coli and all those kinds of things, they're almost all bacterial. And the very few viral ones are mostly from shellfish and contaminated water. So already it's pretty rare that we're getting viral spread of foodborne illnesses that are sourced from mammals. Mm -hmm. Now, the next thing is that viruses are typically really unstable in high temperatures, often even more so than bacteria. And COVID-19 has been in the news recently because of revised guidelines for how to kill it with heat. So the new guidelines that came out, I think in... Well, I shouldn't say new anymore. I think that was April. And uh, you, at this point, the news cycle is so fast. Anyway, those guidelines say that you should heat it to 92 degrees Celsius or 197 Fahrenheit for 15 minutes to kill off the virus. And this was proven to be more effective than heating it to 60 degrees Celsius or 140 Fahrenheit for longer periods of time, which is kind of the sick often the safety recommendation um, for killing multiple other foodborne illnesses, like 140 Fahrenheit is often the the kind of safety guideline you'll see for E. coli, other bacteria, and things like that to kill it off. So we're looking at 197 as the high end to kill off viruses. And why does this matter? No, it's because the recommended temperature for frying chicken is around 175 degrees Celsius or 350 degrees Fahrenheit, which means that virus should be fried. And more importantly, its protein should be denatured. So that's like step one in why I'm mostly saying this, that you can feel safe eating chicken nuggets and not worrying about getting a zombie plague. But the other thing I looked into is viruses crossing the blood-brain barrier, because this is mm-hmm. something that kind yeah. of they, they throw out casually and they're like, oh, it must have crossed the blood-brain barrier and that's why it's rotting the brain. So It's pretty hard to do. Yes, it's really hard to do, and it's extremely dangerous. There are very specific ways that a virus can cross the blood-brain barrier, Mm -hmm. and very few viruses can do it. The ones that can, devastating, hugely devastating. meningitis is a terrifying thing to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely awful. Once they've crossed, viruses can directly damage the brain and the central nervous system, and that's why a lot of these really dangerous diseases, such as AIDS, often have additional repercussions like dementia, because in addition to devastating the body, they then begin to wear down the brain itself. So, terrible. This makes sense. Um, It's also bad because the blood-brain barrier often acts as a barrier to treatment as well, since it's almost as hard to get a virus across as it is to get treatment drugs across, and the drugs that you use to manage a disease typically do not cross the blood-brain barrier, so that's been a project in recent, semi-recent years to develop more drugs that can pass that barrier and can treat diseases like this. So then the third part of this was the part where they said that the disease only affects people pre-puberty. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot find any record of viruses that only affect children. There are plenty that are more prevalent in children, but there is no disease that I can find a record of that only affects you pre-puberty that exists in nature. So basically, what I'm saying is that this is a highly unlikely virus, but it's a fun story mechanic, and you know, what zombie movie doesn't have some convenient pseudoscience thrown in? I think it's... It's still fun. It's all bits of stuff that sounds almost like science, but is I mean, on the that, whole extremely implausible. That's the summary of almost every sci-fi horror story yeah. ever, right? I yeah, mean, I mean, fantasy, okay, I think so. 
I think I've really been spoiled by um by the girl with all the gifts yeah. because after I got to do that, that huge like that's actually something that could theoretically yes happen. it's terrifying. I, that research was so great that now like just a standard zombie flick I'm like okay but where's my plausibility? <laughs> so Anything else you want to say about cooties? To, you know you have them but I don't. I mean you don't want to know something? I'll tell you something. <laughs> there is one thing about cooties I want to say. Yeah, there is actually something about cooties. I want to say I do appreciate that they layered in all the cooties mythos with the with the uh, story with circle circle dot dot. Now you mm-hmm. have a cootie shot. I really like. I don't know. <laughs> it's probably the only moment I really could have used drugs when I was watching it, and um, yeah, it was it was an interesting thing. I was happy it was layered in, but part of me also thought, okay. I mean, I don't know if I needed that so much, but I think like the there were there were a lot of great lines in the film. I think my favorite yes. is was this some sort of intense intervention? <laughs> so, <laughs> I did like that. Right? Yeah, and of course, yeah. and the frog fucks the caterpillar. So just mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. amazing. And we course. know just the, the general presence of a airbrushed eagle van really elevated the whole form. <laughs> <laughs> Definite, definite shining moment. Uh, I love having a crossing guard ask me whether or not I have drugs in front of a school. I love mm-hmm. it when that crossing guard then, you know, identifies me two seconds later as, oh, you're not my dealer, you know? But do you have shrooms anyway? <laughs> so It's that hopeful optimism that we really all aspire to, right. you know? I mean, that's definitely a great, you know, application for a crossing guard. Most crossing guards, I've known a few in my life, most crossing guards I know would have beaten that man in the <laughs> <laughs> point blank wouldn't have even maybe you know, it's because I'm from New York so. but most crossing guards I know would have reacted very poorly to that situation yeah yeah so, <laughs> so moving so little on. monsters yeah little monsters <laughs> oh, uh, I, I had a lot of fun I think yeah. you also had a lot of fun Amazing. yes uh, big shout out to Diesel La Toraca absolutely he is the top oh of my, my notes God. what a star I love that. I love Lupita Nyong'o. I really do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I understand that we're like, you know, I understand that like right now she is definitely a shining star. But I wish we'd had Diesel Lataraka mm-hmm. on the on the cover as well with her. Yeah. Because those yeah, two Diesel are the is ones Felix that for the record. Felix, yeah. So, yeah, he was so good, so, so sweet, and I just. The more I thought about the movie, the more I thought about the combo of Felix and Dave, because that pairing, they are just perfect foils for each other. They make each of, they make each other so much more likable, and the combo of them is just, chef's kiss, fantastic. Felix makes us like Dave, which is a feat. Yeah. (laughs) And, And Dave's utter, you know... Because in any shitheadedness other, in, makes in, Felix, you know, funnier. I really great writing, great pairing, great casting. Oh, so very good. Essentially, what ends up happening there is we, even though Lupita is on the cover, uh, the, it starts with a character named Dave, played by Alexander England, who is a failed musician whose band has been broken up for six years. Um, who ends up leaving his girlfriend, uh, played by uh, Nadia Townsend, uh, and he cannot stop arguing with her. It is just really amazing because if you've ever like 
been that friend at the table where you have two friends that are arguing nonstop and they're doing it every day and you can't get them to stop, but they somehow want you around so that they can continue arguing in front of you. Uh, this is totally going to make you relive those moments. It's just, it's, it's, it's going to touch you in all the worst places. And I've been there a few times. So I definitely was just like, please get through this montage already and get the movie started. I can't deal with this. Yeah. Anymore. Which was more insufferable, the chicken maiming montage or the, uh, that one, no, just the years the arguing of arguing montage. montage. I, would, I was praying for the zombie apocalypse during the arguing montage without question. And if I had been there for real, I would have started looking for the fucking umbrella virus to get that zombie apocalypse started <laughs> i i i would have i would have been there the zombies would have broken through i'd be like i welcome death let's go mm-hmm. yeah um mm-hmm. so what happens is dave gets you know dave leaves his girlfriend and moves in with his sister uh tess played by cat stewart and uh she's living there with uh, his nephew played you know uh, felix played by the adorable diesel Taraka, and uh Felix has a very, very, very beautiful grade school teacher uh, whose name is Miss Caroline, who is played by Lupita Nyong'o. And the, uh, you know, when the opportunity arises for Dave to get some alone time with Miss Caroline, it's uh, because another parent has uh, has to call out sick at the last minute, and Dave volunteers. Uh, to go on the field trip with Felix and, and Miss Caroline, hoping that he'll score. Um, and but what they don't know is that they are going to a a sort of animal farm where there is a military base next door, and that military base uh, just had a zombie apocalypse outbreak. <laughs> oh, and um, if any of you guys out there are Disney fans, uh, Josh Gad, who plays Olaf is is in this film and it's amazing because i'm looking forward to forcing my wife to watch this because she loves olaf more than anything (laughs) and josh gad's character Mm -hmm. plays such a scumbag that this is just gonna ruin it for her the absolute worst i just i love josh gad (laughs) so much this man the book of mormon olaf this movie the diversity in performance the absolute just audacity of him to be all these characters delights me. Absolute yeah, piece of shit. And I he, loved every he's minute so of versatile. it. Even in the yeah. interviews, he's he reminds me a lot of Jack Nicholson, but like in the best ways. Mm-hmm. Like when, yes. when they ask Lupita why she took the part, she had like laryngitis and he starts to speak for her being like, yeah, when Black Panther started, Lapita said that she couldn't foresee how much it was going to explode. <laughs> and you're just sitting there looking at him. And for some reason, he's just like, for me, he's always going to be like Dirty Olaf. And I love that. And, uh... Yeah. Yeah. I also, I didn't realize that he was a dad until I was researching oh, him for okay. this. And I just, I love the idea of him as a father. Yeah. He's got to be such a good dad. He must, he, the filter must pain him, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That yeah. is true. His, I'm sure like he's got to be careful because kids are parrots, oh, but yeah. like oh, yeah. those kids must pick up some creative mm-hmm. creative language. <laughs> There's a few people in zombie apocalypse films who have kids and and watching their kids react to their parents as actors is is magic. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Ty Ty Burrell is. Do you know Ty Burrell from Dawn of the Dead, the remake? Yes. Okay. I don't know him from that, but I know him from Modern Family. Yes. So his, he was, <laughs> there's a moment where he's on Ellen, and you know, I think he had just done the remake, and um, he was talking about his daughter and how she was always making out with the electrical socket, and how this is becoming a concern. No. So. <laughs> I can't really do this on, I can't do this in front of a microphone. I can really only do this in front of a camera, but I'll do my best. Um, His mother tells him that the best way to get a baby to stop licking things is to put cayenne pepper on the, on the electrical socket. Uh So, um, you know, the first thing is he, they, they, you know, now they had panels screwed over everything, but she kept, you know, kissing and tasting the electrical socket. So he puts the, the pepper on and the baby's like, like, you know, she's like, and then she's like, no. <laughs> the kid just keeps making out with the electrical socket. And you're sitting there going like, this in some way, shape or form has to relate to the character themselves. Like this has to, this has to relate back to Ty Burrell himself or like Josh Gad. Like whenever the kids pick something else up, I, always, I almost immediately go, there must be something about you yourself that that kid is channeling because the kid mm-hmm. is, is at least in some way, shape or form part you. So mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, again, just the stellar moment for Josh Gad in this movie for me was when he just grabs the zombie child and bites a chunk out of his face and my favorite part is that that was his idea that he showed up ready to go and he's like great i got a plan my plan is i fucking bite a kid that's what we're gonna do today (laughs) there were so many good moments in that movie you see the thing is Mm -hmm. in contrast to to cooties Little mm-hmm. Monsters uses its cast as much as so it possibly well. can. It keeps, Absolutely. It keeps the camera where it needs to be all the time. Mm-hmm. It keeps shifting where it needs to go all the mm-hmm. time. I The first thing is that the, the coolest thing is that they have Lupita Nyong'o dressed up as like the ultimate Miss Frizzle. Like her arms yep. are jacked and she's uh-huh. gorgeous. And she has like this Mary Tyler Moore hairstyle. And, it's amazing. And when she has to like spring into action, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, you have these two, you know, it's kind of sad because she deserves so much better. And she's just stuck with with one man who's a failed musician and another man who is the most lecherous children's host you've ever mm-hmm. seen. He, Satan incarnate. Yeah, he's just like, oh, oh, the weird thing is I was here first, so you got to go fuck yourself. <laughs> You're just sitting there going, wow. Like, I was like, man, I wonder if Ronald McDonald would do that. You know? I know. I mean, honestly, I could see Ronald McDonald giving his I fucked all the moms speech on <laughs> yeah. top of the roof. Like, it's a disturbing mental picture, but it's going to live in my brain forever now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was actually the thing. The zombies weren't so bad. Teddy, mm-hmm. Teddy is like, you know, Josh Gad's Teddy is is far worse. And that uh-huh. is the way it usually Absolutely. should be, right? It's usually the human monster far outweighs, yeah. far outweighs whatever's outside. So yeah. No, you, but you're you're so spot on. The cast in this is so good. I you mentioned Black Panther with Lupita Nyong'o, and I love that she did this coming right off of Black yep. Panther. Like it's 
just an incredible get. And Abe Forsyth, the director, knew he wanted her. Yeah. And so he managed to, thankfully, like, they sh- they had agents in common, so he managed to reach her, convinced her in one Skype call, which is just an incredible get, which tells me that she really wanted to do this movie, yeah. which just makes the whole thing so much better. Like, this... I mean, she is such a consummate professional and amazing actress that I have full confidence that she would put her all into any project that she worked on. But there was real joy in this one, I think, from her and from so many characters. And this is the same guy who's, he's written a few things in the past, um, Mm -hmm. but I had never heard of him until Little of Monsters, but he's also written something called Down Under... Uh, yeah, which had uh, t- Down Under had a ton of this cast in it. A huge amount of the cast is returning from Down Under. But it's it's really amazing because mm-hmm. this guy really, again, is one of those people where he could do anything he wants. He can do any genre he wants. And you can tell mm-hmm. just by watching this film. He knows what he's Hell doing yeah. the whole time. So it's, it's actually pretty interesting. Um... I will say that the only thing that was kind of... I mean, there were so many one-liners, too, that were great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I can't shoot children again. Um, <laughs> um, you know, what would Pacino do? <laughs> or what would Pacino say? Mm-hmm. All right. And, of course, the best one is your reliability. Actually, Lupita's... <laughs> when they're like, how long will this game last? And she goes... Hmm, next question. Also amazing, yes. right? You're just sitting there watching her. And uh-huh. I mean, it's not like every character there doesn't do their part because nobody there's no. a plank. Everybody. Yeah, and I will say, as somebody, like, I have a ton of teachers in my family. I've done some, like, some summer camp kind of education of small kids style thing. Like, every moment with the children felt so spot on. Uh-huh. Just felt so spot on. Like, all those interactions where you're like, uh-huh, okay, honey, next. Like, right. really struck home. <laughs> well, I mean, that was the other cute thing, right? Was she, was um, Nyong'o and, and Forsyth both said that, like, the challenging thing was first yeah. rehearsing this with all the kids, trying to get mm-hmm. all the kids to pay attention and do all this, and then do it again. <laughs> and then, like, mm-hmm. you know, one the rehearsal was probably, like, very challenging, right? Whenever you're working with child actors, that's always a challenge because you don't. Yeah, wanna... they were working with child actors, and they were working with animals on the same set. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 right, crazy. and they. And I mean, they also happen. talk a lot about how they're trying to like protect them from all the blood and the zombies and the scary stuff that's happening. So when you're trying to get children to rehearse, reproduce the same content, and shield them from the swearing and the zombies, exactly. It, there are so many moving pieces to get this to work right, and it clearly did work. And these kids were actually younger than the kids mm-hmm. in Cooties, right? Mm-hmm. You could see yeah. that there was a that the people who we were we were looking at tweens. When we were mm-hmm. looking at cooties, we were looking at like you know, kids who were barely just beyond toddler. In, yeah, in, yeah, in, these are like kindergarten kids. Kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of little jokes too, right? Like what it, what the definition of a douche is. There was lots mm-hmm. of you know, it was things where you thought it would be hackney, but it got used just the right way. And I yeah. thought, yeah. Yeah, and I think the whole thing really, the whole treatment of the children, the use of the kids, really speaks to Abe Forsyth, and he. We talked about it a little bit in the watch along. The movie was dedicated to his son, which I saw in the credits. I was like, oh, that's a cute little nod. But the more research I did into the movie, the more I found out just how much his son Spike inspired the movie. Because it's really about him. The 
the IRL kid has a ton of food allergies, Mm -hmm. but it's also the Darth Vader costume that's because of Spike. And there's the sweetest quote from Forsyth about it. He said, um, quote, Darth Vader holds a special place in me and my son's world. He sleeps with a seven foot tall Vader cutout over his bed. He found a certain level of confidence from dressing up as Darth Vader, and that's exactly what happens to the character of Felix in Little Monsters, unquote. And that's so cute! The idea of his son sleeping with a full seven-foot-tall Darth Vader cutout delights me. And, like, the sense of humor that's inherent in kids really, I think, shines in this. I mean, I can can always see... I always see a lot of Darth Vader in children, because Hayden Mm -hmm. Christensen... He played a whiny, whiny child the whole three movies. Like, uh-huh. you know, you're not all powerful, but I should be. You know, there's just, there's a lot of, you know, even even his lines. So I think the children, yeah. you know, they picked the right villain when they picked Darth Vader because, I mean, I mean, there's also Kylo Ren who also has temper tantrums and, and, and hits things with lightsabers. But yeah, yeah it's Star Wars does love a good enormous man child. Yeah, as they're man child. They're man children. That's what. That's exactly mm-hmm. what they're. They're emos with glow sticks. That's that is what they are. Um, <laughs> and that's why I like them. Unfortunately, no, they're all, I love. I love them both. I think that you know, they're. I didn't. I. I really. I wasn't scared of Darth Vader again. Just as an aside, until Rogue One, where. Mm. There at the very very end, where Darth Vader goes to intercept the plans for the Death Star. And everybody sees just his his breathing, his lightsaber turns on, and one guy, you know, one of the red shirts yells, open fire! And I'm like, man, you must speak a different language, because where, where I'm from, that means run like hell, death just yeah. got here. <laughs> like, Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I I haven't seen that since it was in theaters because Rogue One was fucking emotionally devastating. Yeah. I saw it. It was like, that was great. Never want to do that right. to myself again. Um, but I like I will say I do remember that exact moment of him walking at me being like, oh, fuck. Yeah, it's kind of like, you're all dead. <laughs> like, uh-huh. best case scenario, you die quick. Worst case, worst case scenario, this is going to take a while. <laughs> yeah. But that yep. was when I regained my, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. Darth Vader's completely badass. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I do like I do like thinking about those man children in contrast with Dave in this movie because Dave is given just absolutely no power, which right, I enjoy. Right. <laughs> yeah, he was he's he ended up on the whole. It's funny because he like every action for the first I would say at least half of the movie is terrible, repugnant, awful. Just like, he should be the worst, but yet still somehow manages to be likable. And I did spend some time thinking about, you know, is he actually likable or is he just hot, which is the eternal question. But I do think that the character development in this movie is really well done. And it is a true feat of both direction and plot and performance that when Lupita Nyong'o and him kiss at the end of the movie, you're not sitting there going like, oh, no. (laughs) The fact that I'm almost convinced that it could work is shocking. There's two two elements to that for me. I think of Barney from How I Met Your Mother, where he's sort Mm -hmm. of just drawing this diagram where he's like, a woman could be insane, but she must be equally hot. And he's like sort of drawing a line like an economics class. I also feel that that's the same thing for men. Like a guy can be a complete asshole, but he must be equally hot in order to get away with it. And then you see, for me, I still found her over the line. What but, but what brought her line to bisect with his line was when she admitted out loud of her own volition that she was hot for Hanson 
in and broke into their place and would have let them do anything to her if she wanted. That moment is is devastating. You're like, oh my god, this is the real horror story. Like Deadpool yeah, would see, disembowel himself. It's funny himself. to me because like as a as a younger person than you that means nothing to me it means zero so i watched that and i was like i was sitting there like okay and then i watched this movie with you and you were like oh my god oh my god hansen not hansen you're forgetting and the vomiting like, noises from like, oh <laughs> oh yes and, and then suddenly i was like oh okay this was supposed to be devastating news i see <laughs> And uh, hit differently when uh, the watch along was with you. So, in me, so in my eyes, it did not even remotely sully uh, Miss Caroline. But which shows me you need I to understand listen to the a lot more music. You. But after you've listened to mm-hmm. Oompa in, in stores on loop, you'll understand it, it could cause its own zombie apocalypse on its own. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, hey, while we're talking about music, guess what I researched for this one? It was why the fuck the zombies were listening to the songs at the end. Because that was like, in the watch along, that was the kind of moment where I was like, okay, this is fun, but why is this happening? Right. (laughs) Um, And so I did some further research and it directed me accidentally, um, well, not accidentally, just unexpectedly back to one of my favorite areas of research, which is looking (laughs) at the link between music and memory Mm -hmm. so this is stuff i love this is really just my sweet spot of the great intersection of science and the lived experience anyway what i was looking at is that the human brain holds these really deep memories of music which is often way deeper than we realize particularly because music is both stored and recalled differently than most of our other memories So when you listen to music, your entire limbic system is activated. That's the parts of the brain that regulate both emotion and memory. Now, is this why hearing sweeping dramatic music will make me cry while I'm sitting in the middle of a restaurant having a totally normal dinner? Maybe, maybe not, but I'm going to say it is so that I can preserve a modicum of my own dignity. But there is a huge amount of wonderful and fascinating research on how music can help patients with Alzheimer's and advanced dementia. So just just some bullet point highlights of what this does. So in Alzheimer's patients, the limbic system is not always damaged. And um, by using music, doctors and caretakers have been able to engage patients whose cognitive and verbal decline made communication almost impossible otherwise. Music has been shown to help memories resurface. Routinely listening to music can literally improve brain function and create new paths of connectivity in the brain of Alzheimer's patients. It helps to... Yeah. So it's very important to keep your favorite mixtapes. And it might even be important to keep give your kids those mixtapes and make sure that they have like a Walkman and a pair of headphones around for oh, you. Oh, trust me, I'll get to that point. We're we're making okay. our way there. <laughs> um then so music also helps to reduce anxiety and lower the risk of delirium and stressful situations. It music helps literally it literally helps dementia patients to swallow better, which is a huge challenge for a lot of people in advanced dementia. They forget how to feed themselves and can't eat anymore, and so eating with music helps them to swallow, which is fascinating. Just the levels of thinking through that blow my mind. Um, musical therapy is being used as an alternative to pharmaceutical treatment for neuropsychiatric symptoms that are common in dementia. 
And if this is even remotely interesting to you, you can go to musicandmemory.org if you want to learn more. Super interesting site, has these heartwarming videos, and they link a lot of great research papers. They are also the ones who posted one of my all-time favorite videos. It is a video of an old man named Henry who suffers from severe dementia and seems depressed and hardly responsive, but but when he's given an iPod with his favorite music from when he was younger, he, he lights up, he starts singing, and he's able to answer questions and carry out conversations and talk about memories of his past. Right. It makes me cry every, every time. time I watch it and listen to him sing Cab Calloway. And if you haven't watched this video, you must. Essential viewing. Turn this off. Go watch that video because it's great. It. And I will just say as, as sort of a side tip, it's very important to keep the, the if you have a audio recorder in your iPod and there's a favorite place that you mm -hmm. like to be, it's a very good idea to take loops of your favorite sounds and keep them around mm -hmm. too. It's very helpful. Yeah. The power of audio is incredible. It's, it's understated. And yeah, it's understated. just, there's just more and more and more information you can find about this that is super fascinating. But how it relates back to little monsters. <laughs> um, so some of the effects of Alzheimer's and dementia are loss of memory, including who your loved ones are, and in extreme cases, who you are, which frequently dramatically alters behavior. So basically, there is a very real possibility that even if the parts of the brain that govern decision-making and conscious memory of, say, who you are, was hypothetically damaged by, oh, I don't know, a zombie disease, the brain could still respond to music. So even though it felt like a kind of wacky moment in the movie, it's, sh yeah, it's shockingly plausible. It really makes sense that even when these people have lost all control, their brain is degrading and potentially turning into goop in parts of it, that would be the logical thing they would still respond to is the songs they knew from when they were young. These kindergarten songs, you know, that they grew up hearing, that's exactly what would be a trigger for them. So on the whole, a great moment I've in the movie. Told, and I've told other authors in the past that my way of handling things with um, with regard to certain scary mm -hmm. things is to keep my iPod around. Like, I actually mm -hmm. think you can keep, you know, uh, you know, you can go into a, into a bathroom, mm -hmm. say Bloody Mary three times in the mirror, but then you should also say Candyman three times in the mirror, turn on some Barry Manilow, leave the bathroom, and then everything will work itself out, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, but... Really just, I loved this movie. I loved this movie. I loved the so many things about it. Just, I could keep talking about how endearing it is, the cast of characters, the writing was great. Um, just really delightful. And I had such a good time. Like, it's really a fun movie that feels good. And it's also impressive that, like, I feel like proportionally there's so much of the movie that's the setup for the ultimate zombie activity, but even that doesn't feel like a letdown. Even if you're waiting to go into a zombie movie, the half hour, 40 minutes of, you know, watching Dave's relationship fall apart and him argue with his sister still is a great movie. <laughs> so, and that's absolutely to its credit. Like every part of the movie is enjoyable and, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy. Um, well, if you like these movies, I would definitely recommend, I mean, both of these movies combine and recombine with pretty much mm -hmm. everything from the rom-com-zom genre. So for those <laughs> who do not know, that is the romantic comedy zombie genre. Shaun of the Dead, 
Life After Beth, Burying the X, Warm Bodies, and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which... Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, it fits. So, um, you know, other things that could work with this are... Let me, let me pull up the zombie comedies. There's also a bunch of zombie comedies that work with this. You yeah, know, I mean, you were land. the first person I heard say rom-com zom. But and now that yeah, I've actually, I was doing I, the research I, for these, I saw I zom-com thrown around a lot. I fact-checked somebody who considers themselves and, an, you know, sort of an expert in the field now in horror because they published a book and they didn't know rom-com zom. So I don't know how. Um, that was coined <laughs> by Edgar Wright, who was the director of uh, Shaun of the Dead from 2004. But also found Wan of the Dead, uh, Dead Snow, Red vs. Dead, Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, One Cut of the Dead. Um, Those were also, you know, fun things that you could mix and match with these sorts of films. I mean, essentially, the funny thing about these two is that they make you very, very grateful you don't have kids. (laughs) Truly. um, Well and truly. It's it's definitely something where you watch it and you're like, you know what? I better better make sure I'm damn well prepared before I have kids because they could either kill me or I might need to kill other things to keep them protected. So I feel like the, the big message here today has been like, you know, Mr. Rogers comes out and says, you know, kids, this is a lot of responsibility. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, maybe actually they're good educational material, you know, just kids? Yeah. <laughs> keep yourself, keep your kids safe from contamination. Show just show these movies to your kids and they'll be they'll be great. I'm sure there will be no bad repercussions. It definitely shows it definitely shows the importance of child rearing as well, though. Everywhere, <laughs> everything from, hey, man, maybe don't feed your kids something that they might be allergic to or maybe check the fucking bag. All the way to, yeah, you know, maybe you should make sure that your kid's lunch is funded well and that, you know, or that you pack, you know, crazy idea, that you pack them a lunch so that they don't eat some sort of contaminated food, which, you know, if Flint, Michigan is any fucking indicator, is definitely something in the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, retrospective thank yous to uh, all the years of my mom helping to pack my lunches when I was going to school. Thanks, mom. Love you. <laughs> Same to mine. I also want to retrospectively thank my high school for making dollar cheeseburgers. You saved my life. (laughs) Um, So here on The Late Night, we are big fans of good causes, as you well know. Uh, September 6th is National Read-A-Book Day. And uh, we would like to direct you to the American Library Association so you can learn more about doing international book donations. Because literacy is a huge problem still. Uh, I know that we have quite the fucking laundry list of problems anyway to deal with right now. But, you know, whenever that does quiet down, literacy is something we should still be combating. Because Mm -hmm. it arguably brought about some of our current problems. Um, So, yeah, it's a good idea to read, to read to your children if you have them. Um, And so we would definitely encourage you to donate books uh, when at all possible um maybe even start your own little mini library in your village you know you know give you know give a book take a book yeah and i I would also say too yeah yeah i would also say um again with it being back to school time i know 
Again, as somebody with several teachers in the family, this time of year is the time of year that a lot of teachers are looking for donations for their classrooms, especially in America, where many teachers are trying to do their best without a lot of funding. Um, this is a great time to reach out to your local schools and see what their needs are. People are looking for books. People are looking for classroom materials. And, you know, if there's anything you can do for your local schools as well, this is a great time to do it because, you know, it's a, it's a stressful time at the best of at the best of times to go back to school and now more than ever. So <laughs> help out the local kitties, you know. <laughs> so there is one one clip on YouTube that I, I highly encourage everybody to watch is one funny mother. Um, and she has a she has one video that went viral uh, a couple of years ago called Stop Complaining About Back to School Shopping. Best skit i have ever watched because everything is always like oh man why do they ask us to buy trappers why do they ask us to buy folders why do they want us to get she's like lady are you fucking kidding me you're gonna teach them math so that i don't have to you're gonna watch them for eight hours or five hours so i don't fucking have to i'll buy you whatever the fuck you want it is the best skit ever mm -hmm. stop complaining about back to school shopping highly recommend will never be irrelevant catch it while you that can. is true enough i'll put that true enough i'll put that link in the description as well excellent well yeah no i think that's good happy september everyone stay safe especially if you have kids right now or you're a teacher power <laughs> to you <laughs> yeah. social distancing if you are not yeah. a teacher you know, please take it easy on teachers. Please don't act like teachers are your fucking kids' babysitters. Please be grateful for them. Um, please mm -hmm. be understanding that, you know, it's a disease that could kill people, that there is a disease that could kill people out there and that they don't want to be put in harm's way because they more than likely have children themselves and that it's not that they don't care about you or your job, but that they just want to, you know, get in there and, and get out of there as safely as they can. You know, because there's a lot of teachers who want to go back to school and work. Actually, there's a lot of people who just want to leave the house. Uh, <laughs> but because of this disease, unfortunately, they're not able to currently. So please show understanding and compassion to one another. Please love one another. Yeah. And until we see you in October for our Halloween special, you know, stay safe and stay spooky. Up next is the horror news. Stay tuned. The Horror News for September. Although Tales to Terrify is currently closed for paid submissions, they are open to flash fiction pieces up to 2,500 words. You can learn more at https forward slash forward slash tales to terrify .com forward slash submissions. The Dark is an online magazine that's looking for fiction pieces from 2,000 to 6,000 words. Visit http forward slash forward slash Visit thedarkmagazine.com forward slash submission dash guidelines for more details. The Nightmares and Phantasms podcast is currently open to submissions of 1,000 to 6,000 words. For more information, visit www.lompublishing.com forward slash submission dash call. Please note, even though The Late Night does its best to bring horror authors the most up-to-date information for publication venues, it cannot guarantee that all the aforementioned information will remain valid. All submissions should be considered tentative and subject to change. 
If you're a magazine or press that's interested in having your submission advertised on The Late Night, you can write to monerlawrence at hotmail.com. The Late Night, a horror podcast, is brought to you by Moner T. Lawrence. Find us at monaria.com and The Late Night Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.